Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Ryan Shalaba with Urban Capital, and he flew in from Pittsburgh to share how he and his partner have flipped over 70 properties so far this year for close to $2 million in gross profit. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, and I help entrepreneurs create businesses that support their family, lifestyle, and goals through mentorship. I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If you want to be part of that journey, drop me a message on Instagram at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to the show. I still need to get the 500 five-star reviews in iTunes because I have some crazy goals in 2020. So please do me a favor. Go into iTunes, subscribe, give a five-star review. Even if you're listening through Spotify or any other podcasting app, if you could please go to iTunes and give us a review, that would be fantastic. And if you could write down what you like about the show, that would be even better. And uh, this is a live show. Ask questions for Ryan answer. He's promised me uh, there's no question, no matter how personal, <laughs> yeah. that he won't answer. All right, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so first question is, what got you into real estate? So I'm sure everybody opens up the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Way back when. But um, obviously, I'm a young guy, so I'm 26 years old. Um, I actually got into real estate because of my dad. And he, he worked for U.S. Airways um, for a number of years and in a, about a span of 18 months back in 04 through uh, 05, 06, their um, company filed bankruptcy twice. And so you have all these workers and I watched my dad at young age, I was like you know, 10, 11 years old. Um, I watched him lose his pension, lose 401k, stock option, all of that and get his pay cut in half. And I watched us go from like just really kind of non-stressed about about money as a family to, you know, kind of batting down the hatches and a big change in like just lifestyle and mindset really as he tried to kind of climb back out. And so from 10, 11 years on, uh, years old on, we started doing a lot of stuff together on the side. Mm-hmm. So we were flipping dirt bikes, flipping cars, tickets. That was when uh, eBay Craigslist was getting real big, you know? And um, Like event tickets? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was cri- killing it on <laughs> Craigslist back in the day. Yeah. So we were doing a lot of that, just making money on the side, fixing stuff up. What was actually fun was like, he would fix it up because he's a mechanic. I would, I would find something on Craigslist, like a dirt bike or a lawnmower or something that was broken. I'd buy it. He would fix it up and then I would, I would sell it. And, Sounds uh, like a business today. Exactly. So got into a lot of that and then go off to college. Uh, I went to a really, really good school for a little while. Um, I, got my, I got my real estate license the first summer that I had come home because I was like, all right, I, I got an interest in real estate. Let's go flip some bigger things and always wanted to do it. And all of my dad's friends that made it through the U.S. Airways crash actually had a lot of rentals or they were flipping properties. So I go and I'm working for them. And um, so I get my real estate license and I'm really just buying and selling houses for like beer money, <laughs> you know, during, during college. Mm-hmm. And um, so going to sophomore year, and um, he buys me buys me tickets to a seminar, you know, three day seminar. Um, go go went through Fortune Builders as a and so I'm 19 years old and I'm in college. He buys me this for our birth for my birthday. He's like, come on down, let's go check this out. We're not buying anything though. We're just gonna learn more about real estate investing. I'm like, okay, cool. Go down Sunday, <laughs> max out credit card, home equity line of credit. We're 
into real estate game now. Oh, so you guys went there to not buy anything and right. you guys still bought, right? <laughs> and what was cool about that was that that was like just as much for him as it, but it was like, he did it, he did it for me, did it mm-hmm. for us so we could go work together. And um, so now we're real estate investors. We don't really have any knowledge at all other than what some people had you know taught us and what his friends had told him and stuff so getting into that world of fortune builders where they they you know they do teach you how to like build a business right so the mindset's different than just getting into you know going on youtube videos and things like that and Mm -hmm. launching that way so there was a lot of negativity a lot of people you know in and out of the circle like you guys are crazy why would you ever why would you ever do that why would you spend all that money to get an education people outside of yeah like your friends and family friends, family, gotcha. college roommates. Like I was, so then, so I'm second semester, sophomore year, I'm studying more real estate than I am studying, uh, you know, my books and stuff. And it was just crazy how everything kind of worked that first six months um, that we were investing, if you will. We started off wholesaling. Um, I didn't get a deal for the first six months, but a bet we had made was that if I could do a deal before I had to report back to football camp, then I could take the year off and mm-hmm. we could pursue this. It was like two weeks before I was supposed to report back to school, we closed our first wholesale deal for six grand. Nice. And then uh, in the next 45 days, closed another six deals, paid back the investment plus some. Wow. And we were, we were running. And um, so, then, so that's mid-September. Um, some people know my story, probably a lot of, a lot of listeners that are new here. Mm-hmm. Um, October of 2013, I lost my dad in a motorcycle accident. Um, and so that was six months after we started our business. And so I'm like, well, what do I, what do, I do now? Mm-hmm. And um, it took me like better part of a year to really kind of pick myself up, put myself back together. I was going through a lot of, a lot of family things because, um, you know, it's just – money, you know, money, money makes people greedy. And, yeah. and it was a really stressful and tough situation. I had a younger sister and mom and stepmom all on the, all in the mix, you know, and everyone, we're all just trying to figure out how to get through it. So I'm bouncing around on my buddy's couches and everything. And then, um, like mid 2014 now. So, uh, about six months after that, seven months after that, my, my, uh, my best friend's dad was crashing on the couch. He was my dad's best friend comes downstairs, literally kicks me. He's like, are you going to put yourself together yet? Like, are you going to put yourself together today? Are you going to go out and like get, get some work done and do something with yourself? Like dad wouldn't be real happy about, you know, what you're doing. Mm. And that, that was literally the day. Like, cause I was, I was boozing heavy and we oh, were, yeah. we were, yeah, we were partying hard and, was, Pittsburgh. you know, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was just going down, going down a bad path. Yeah. And uh, that was the day I, I literally said to my best friend, I walked upstairs, was hung over, and I was like, and excuse me, but this is the exact thing I said, I'm getting my shit together today. Yeah. And uh, every, everything kind of started changing, momentum changed for me after that point. And, uh, you know, now I'm sitting here. <laughs> so there's a lot of adversity in this, in this business, right? Not necessarily, you know, personal adversity, but there's lots of adversity mm-hmm. in this industry. Yeah. So besides the literal kick in the butt, what else helped you kind of get through that adversity? It's, it's a lot of, you know, coming to the grips with like, I, the way that I got through losing him was basically feeling like my dad did everything that he could and got me to a point where 
he maybe would have been holding me back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he got taken away. But after that, it's to really spread the wings and, and go build out beyond anything he could have ever imagined. Yeah. And that's something that, care, like, I got lost, you know, and forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And when I got that kick again, I, I really realized, you know, why did we start? And it was because he had everything taken away from him. Uh, he was a company man, you know, and he had it all taken away and had to restart. And I watched him go through, like, realizing that he was going to have to work for the rest of his life. Meanwhile, he thought he was, you know, 15 years away from a really cushy retirement. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was why we started it was for freedom, you know. And and uh, and so that helped me, like, just get back into the group. why you started. Yeah. Yeah. And too, like I got a chip on my, I mean, I don't know why I still to this day, my partner talks about it all the time. He's like, you got some kind of chip on your shoulder and I don't know why. Um, I think it, I think it's a, it's that, you know, competitiveness and sports Mm -hmm. and things like that. I grew up racing motocross, which is a very singular competitive sport. Um, and so I have that, that nature in me that I want to always get better. And so once I kind of put that back together, it was, I was able to at least start putting the pieces back together and and moving forward. Gotcha. Now, Fortune Builders does not have a great name in our community. Mm -hmm. What would you say is different? How were you able to get out and and work with it when most people go through it with nothing but credit card debt? Yeah, I think, and this is, I think it's for any education. I think that what they are what they are good at is putting together a foundation to get you from zero to ten deals. Uh, I think they're excellent at that. They have they give you a really good foundational base of not only real estate but business itself. Uh, I think a lot of people fail because they just don't take action. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when I say that, and this was back in 2013 when they weren't anywhere near what they are now. Uh, now there there could potentially be an overload of information, but mm-hmm. back then it was pretty simple to where it was like literally follow this checklist, do the bandit signs, do the mailers. Like it was back then, you know, mm-hmm. um, we didn't have any really that much technology. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, do this, do that. And then calls come in, you go, you meet with sellers. Here's what you say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's how you estimate repairs. Here's a purchase agreement. And, um, you know, and you put deals together. And so giving you that foundation and then understanding that, you know, systems and processes are really important and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think, you know, if you understand that that's what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and you take the action and you just kind of s- succumb to your own fears and do it, you will be successful at some point. You will at least make your money back. You yeah. might not be some empire building, you know, real estate investor, but you will at least get your money back. And I think that's, that should be considered success mm-hmm. um, because now you've picked up a new skill. Gotcha. But a lot of people go in with these crazy high expectations and then they don't put in the work um, and don't try to learn to understand that like this is a this is a three, five, seven, 20 year thing here. Yeah. Um, you're going back to college and then you're getting your feet on the ground. And, and so people just kind of fall under that pressure a lot and um, and don't really put the pieces together. Hmm. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be right because I've never checked out their curriculum. Right? I have yeah. no idea what exactly they do. And I, I want to put and I and I like to put it out there too that like I think again that's all education, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can you know somebody could come and pay you or I a heck of a lot of money, and we could literally show them everything in our business, and 
you might show a hundred people that and two or three take every bit of it, make it their own and then go and surpass you. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of the world out there right now. Uh, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people want the get rich quick, the easy scheme. And well, I mean, it's nice if you don't have to work for it. Right. But so, the, so you get your life back together and then you're building this, um, I mean, do you go back to wholesaling where this is when you started flipping? What was the, you know, at which point where did you, or which direction did you go? Wholesaling? So, flipping? so started wholesaling again. Um, and then I bought a couple flips. I, so I bought two flips at once and this was before I had partnered up with, with Arch. So this is 2014 into 2015. And, um, so I bought two flips, one house I bought for 50 grand and it was in a really like booming neighborhood was right next to this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of like the up and coming. I was the pioneer up there, which mm -hmm. I now know isn't the <laughs> best thing to do. Nope. But, um, so I bought that and then I bought uh, a big historical house uh, close to my hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, this house, it needed it needed a ton of renovation. And uh, so the first one, my lender made more money than me, but I still made money. So he made 12 and I made five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you always joke because he took me to dinner. And then on the second one, I actually, I lost my butt. Mm -hmm. uh, I lost like 12, 12 grand on that second one. And at this point, I mean, I'm riding on, I'm riding on dad's money. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was, that was, that hurt. And then I buy a third one in Lawrenceville again. And uh, that time I made 50 grand on it. And so it was like, okay, kind of got my, got my bearings together and realized like, I'm good at finding them. I'm pretty okay at raising money mm -hmm. and I have a real estate license, but I suck at construction. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm really bad at this and I, and I just don't, I don't understand it. So I'm wholesaling, I'm just kind of getting it together. And then 2000, like mid 2015, I happened to meet my partner, Arch. Mm -hmm. We're chasing the same deal on the street where he's building the house on this side of the street and we're chasing a deal on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. I find out that like he's working it. So I hit him up on Facebook and I'm like, Hey dude, I think we're working the same seller. Like let's not cut each other at the knees. He's like, okay, cool. Um, so we, we kind of work against, uh, work against them. A little friendly collusion. Yeah. A little friendly collusion. <laughs> um, I lock, I lock the deal up. So I'm going down I'm putting a bandit sign in there and he's actually across the street mm -hmm. as the first time we meet in person. He shows me his build, shows me, just takes me around, kind of shows me like all the projects that he's working on. And, uh, so then we go and we drink a bunch of beer <laughs> and, um, over like the next like 30 to 60 days, we, we actually started having real conversations about like, let's buy some houses together. Yeah. I'll find them. I'll raise the money. You do the construction. I'll sell them. It'll be perfect marriage. So he's the flip guy. Yeah. He's Even the construction though I know guy. You as the flipper. Right. Really? You're lousy at flipping too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the real guy. Yeah. He's the real brains. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so Pittsburgh, how big is, how big is. Um, so it's like, uh, there's like, a, I don't know, like 1.3, 1.4 million people. Okay. Um, so it's, it's me, it's a medium, it's a medium sized market numbers wise, but we have like, it's really, in, it's a really, really interesting market to where like a lot of people try to come in and work in that market and they fail because even though it's larger, it's very old school, blue collar, like homeboy to homeboy mm -hmm. type type place, um, older demographics. So people are really, really skeptical. Like you have to have a, a long track record of doing business there to kind of be successful. 
Um, and you know how like I always, I always make this like uh, analogy, like when you're flying in and out of cities, a lot of times you, you look down and you see a checkerboard, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, that checkerboard's worth, those houses are like 300K. Mm -hmm. This checkerboard, they're like 200K. If you fly in and out of Pittsburgh, it looks like just this crazy spider web of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And it's so street by street that a lot of times people just have a really hard time getting an understanding of the neighborhoods and the values. So you could be one street here and it's a $400,000 house. And I kid you not on the other side of the street, it's 300. And so like people come in and they make really big mistakes. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, I love, I love it, mm -hmm. but hate it at the same time because the housing stock's really old. So rehabbing there and constructions, it's, it's really hard. Like my partner has definitely a hard, hard job. Yeah. Um, you know, we're dealing with just bad foundations, asbestos, um, you know, knob and tube wiring, like all of these things that you probably don't, no offense, probably don't even know about out here because like no the house, cause the housing stocks are a lot newer. Yeah. Uh, we're dealing with 1900 to 1950 homes more often than not. So it makes it, it makes it really hard. Were you, yeah, we call those historic homes. <laughs> yeah. And I stay away from those cause yeah. like a good one, you can make a lot of money, but a bad one, you man, can, you better have that margin. It can yeah, lose a lot fast. Yeah. So yeah, anything that's like 1950 and older, we're like, just right. we'll let a professional handle that one. <laughs> yeah. We'll wholesale it, yep. but we're definitely not flipping it. So yeah, so the market, so the market's like, it's really interesting there. Um, we've had like a net migration of like zero for like mm. 30 years or like negative. Wow. So it's, it's booming. There's tech coming in there, like Google's there, Uber's there, all this stuff, but still at the end of the day, like just as many people leave as they do come, you know, come in because it's a really heavy college town. Mm -hmm. Uh, and more often than not, like a lot of small, small neighborhoods and stuff like the kids, you know, we get out of college and we're like, get as far away from here as possible. Like mm -hmm. it rains too much. It snows. Like, let's get out of here. You're not selling uh, Pittsburgh at all right now. No, <laughs> but it is, it's, I mean, it is a, it's a fantastic market. Mm -hmm. The, the biggest thing I let, I let everybody know is it's extremely challenging to get into it. Um, yeah. and to get up and going because it's just so hard to value properties and there's so many little things. And I know it's any, any market, but like when your housing stock is 1850 to brand new, like there's so many different values like valuations and things that can, you know, change these houses that it's just hard. Well, I remember, you know, we were talking about this uh, in our mastermind uh, that we're in, that you sat back and analyzed all the flips that you've done and the ones that you had the most profit per time it was like something that was like 1950 to 1980 in this neighborhood. What was the, mm -hmm. yeah, like, so, what's your sweet spot? So now, so now we do homes built after 1950. And mm -hmm. that was a, that was a scalability thing mm -hmm. because 2016, 17 into a little bit of 18, we were doing gut jobs in the city. We were doing the historic homes, but we could only do 10 to 12 of those a year. Don't get me wrong. We were making 80, $100,000 on these houses, but it was a nine month cash cycle. So it's just like, you think the highs and lows of the business are long now, do it when you're doing $200,000 renovations. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you make four or 500 grand and then you watch the account dwindle oh, yeah, to, to $30,000 and you're like, oh my God, we're going out of business. Yeah. <laughs> and then it sells again. And, and so we said, okay, we got to stabilize here. If we're going to build a team, um, 
and this is again, this is this is you know, this is both Arch and I sitting down and him saying, the only way that we're going to be able to do this is if we buy the same type of house over and over and over again. So we got to get you know four or five miles outside the city to where we're out of those historical districts, and we got to buy the same house over and over again. We got to McDonaldize this thing. You know, mm-hmm. we're not doing we're not doing prime rib and steak anymore like it's McDonald's, and um, so that was like tail in 2017 we started realizing that uh 18 we really made the shift and and um that was when like the team tail in 17 and 18 was when the team really started to come along because we started buying a lot more mm-hmm. um our price points went down so we got into the median price point uh that 150 to 200 and so we were just started turning and burning got our rehabs down to like 35 40,000 dollars and pretty much dollar per dollar on the rehab versus the profit and um and so now yeah i mean that's that's pretty yeah. much it for us so yeah i mean i thought that was a pretty smart move because you guys and i'm not trying to disrespect right like you know 70 trans- 70 transactions it's a good amount you know we have guys here that do like more than that mm-hmm. you know but I, I, I admire the fact that you're able to go and say okay here are the ones that are easier and we still make a lot of money in the time perspective mm-hmm. yeah right? yeah and so I thought it was wise, you know, like to actually sit back and analyze that versus like just continuing to do mm-hmm. what you were doing right. and be content. Because like, you're making a lot of money. Are you making 800K in a flip? Mm-hmm. It could have been just as easy yeah. to just keep doing that. Right. So I admire that you went back and uh, became introspective. Yeah. Yeah. And we've always, and like, that's one thing we've always been really good at is yeah. like stepping back and kind of looking at the big picture because like, our, like my partner, he's, you know, we're on the traction model and he's heavy, heavy visionary, like as high as it gets. And I could kind of float between visionary and integrator, but I'm more of an integrator profile. So we have that like unique partnership to where like I can work deep in the weeds for a really long period of time and not burn out mm-hmm. and also look at the business macro wise. But like his strength is pulling me even further out and saying, this is going to happen. Like, you know, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. We need to change right now, Yeah. you know? And then when he sets that vision out in front of me, I can work it backwards. So like, right. that's where our partnership's really good. And so, yeah, when we recognize that, it was funny because it was like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do 50 flips a year. Um, and when we talk about like 50 flips, we're always talking about solds. So mm-hmm. like for us, so this year we've bought, well, in at the end of uh, what's on the docket up until December is 65 purchases and 71 sold. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we're doing, a, you know, we're doing a lot of transactions, but like we really focus on the solds and we said, okay, let's get to that 40 to 50 mark. And we were like, how the heck are we going to do this? And the only way we saw doing it was getting our rehab numbers down, like close to like 30 K building out an in-house construction team and then really turning them. And then we got the crazy idea, you know, last year around October, and uh, we had some EOS consultants come in, um, Gary and Susan Harper, mm-hmm. fantastic people. I, I love them. Uh, they came in and they actually pulled an even higher vision out of us was that, you know, we wanted to get to that 70 to 80 mark and see what it looked like and be able to step away from the business for periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so that was whenever we kind of made all of these shifts and stuff. Yeah. And then this year we were like, okay, this kind of sucks. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about that, yeah. right? So, like, you know, here's a vision, it's 50. It's like, no, it's actually 70 or 80. And now you've done it, it's like, no, actually, it's really more like 50. Mm-hmm. So yep. what what were the pains that you experienced that, like, man, selling all these houses, making all this money is great, but it's not as great as we thought it was going to be? 
Yeah. So what were some of those pains that came along with that? It's so it it was like okay, you can lay out a vision plan, right? And and where we failed first of all was we said, okay, here's the goal we want, and we thought we laid out a lot of a lot of the pieces, mm-hmm. but we did not think about like what problems could potentially arise when we buy. 10 houses at once, or when we go to list and sell 10 houses at once, you know, what, what are these new problems? We just said, here's what we want to do. And we started running. So when we started, when we started like doubling over again, basically, and we were buying heavy, you know, I was working really, really hard on the front. And then Arch was kind of like sitting back, just waiting for the storm. And then we would get in and all of a sudden, you know, we had 12 guys on the construction crew and we're trying to do 15 jobs at once. And he's playing this maestro and trying to reinvent the rehabbing process when you just, you can't do that. So then things get backed up. Um, also too, when you go to scale that much, I had to pull back from the acquisitions and I thought I put enough processes in place to where I could just sign off on these deals. And what was happening was our acquisition guys were underestimating repairs by five to 10K and overestimating ARV by five to 10K. Who, who would have thought that would happen? <laughs> and uh, so then we're, and, and we're buying to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't, we didn't realize that at the time. So come around May, we have full stack of inventory, like 35 homes. And we're looking at it and we're like, half of this is crap. Mm-hmm. And it's not crap from the perspective of it fit inside the model. The, everything was nice, but there's a couple of market, there's a couple of neighborhood shifts, a couple underestimated budgets. And when you're only trying to make 25 or 30 on a house and all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're trying to make 15, stuff starts to not make sense. Mm-hmm. So Q3, we go into just crazy heavy sale mode. And uh, we're like, sell everything, get it out. Um, we got to start wholesaling more. And then next thing you know, our wholesales so we're making more on our wholesales than we were on our rehabs that were mm-hmm. going out the door. And we're like, okay, let's, um, let's, let's scale, let's scale down. You know, so we had to let some team members go. Mm-hmm. We had to obviously re, you know, batten down the hatches really, and just get out of the mess of inventory and get it, get it on the market and sold. Yeah. And, um, so I'm happy to report <laughs> that, um, December is huge. December is huge for us. And like, yeah. We're making all of our money in one month this year, which is not good. What do you mean? Like, so like our business throughout this whole year, because we did such a heavy inventory stack, Mm -hmm. it sucks all the cash. Right. Well, it's all coming back this month in December. (laughs) Um, When meanwhile, before, when we were growing at a steady, consistent pace, Mm -hmm. you were able to, you know, flip, get a nice influx of cash, kind of put some aside, keep growing. We, right. we grew so much that it just, yeah. it, it, now we weren't upside down on deals, but here we are riding the break even mm-hmm. line. And then November, boom, big pop of money. And then December, we're selling 17 homes in December. Yeah. And there's big profit margins on them. So it's like, we're making all of our money in one month. Do I ever want to do that again? No. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something that's funny, right? Cause like, uh, we've talked about this on a couple of episodes. It was that a lot of guys is when they're trying to scale, like, yeah, you're profitable and your books, your P and L's, they look great, mm-hmm. but your balance sheet sucks. Mm-hmm. And what, af- what happens is you run out of capital, even though you're profitable, it's hard for, I think, you know, the guys that are newer to understand this concept that you can go out of business because you're, 
too successful. Right. You grow too fast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, another thing that I, I have friends right. They're trying to scale. They're trying to get really big. And what I've told them, and this is true on the traditional side, this is true on the wholesale side. It's like, name one person that you know personally that has more than six salespeople <laughs> and is loving life. Right. Like, this becomes a people business as you scale. And managing more than six salespeople, it's not a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I've never gotten to that point. <laughs> yeah. But uh, on, on the sales side, but it was just like, and, and what's funny is I, I want to make sure that I don't, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being real with mm -hmm. everybody here. And that's, that's my shtick is that like, yeah, we're an extremely profitable business, but the way that we hit the gas, I won't do that again. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that we were able to come out of the other side of that profitable was because we still bought mostly right. We didn't over leverage ourselves. We had, we had a very, very strong knowledge of how to, how to do the construction and make sure that we were selling properly. And, you know, a lot of things that were still foundational to us worked. It was, you know, just you hit the gas too hard. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why we didn't feel it as much was because we had huge cash reserves last year. Yeah. And then it was like, oh my gosh, where'd it go? Um, <laughs> Story of every afternoon. But like, it's still, it's still crazy though. Like on, on the other side of things, like Arch and I spent 30 days in Breckenridge last mm -hmm. February while all of this was going on to test and break, try to break our business. Mm -hmm. So like we, I, I can say like we, we broke it, but like we were trying. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's crazy to, to hear. And some people probably won't believe us, but mm -hmm. like, if you go back on my timelines and if, you know, we've been in masterminds together, like mm -hmm. we've been talking about this for a year. Like yeah. we are going to walk away from our business for 30 days and, and see what happens. You weren't answering the calls on, on the mountains. No, no, no. It was, we, now we had a structure in place. Mm -hmm. You know, we had our meeting structures to where we were doing morning check-ins and afternoon check-ins and we had our weekly meeting structure. But other than that, we were hands off. Yeah. And we bought and sold 17 houses in that month of February while we were gone. That was the, one of the biggest life-changing like business experiences for us was like, we don't need to be in every, you know, every little transaction. Yeah. Now, 90 days later, all of those mistakes and things that were going on while yeah. we were gone took 90 days for that stuff to flush out, mm -hmm. which is what happened in May and June when we were all hanging out in uh, Huntington Beach and we were like, yeah, I got, I got hammered <laughs> on that, uh, on that hot seat. Well, mostly by Scott. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, Thanks, every, Scott. <laughs> I think everyone else is pretty nice. Scott Oots, he's gonna, he's gonna tell you exactly what's on his mind. But it's, <laughs> but I mean, that was like, that was, I mean, at that point, to have those conversations with those guys, mm -hmm. like that was huge. And then Gary and Susan flew back in and it was mm -hmm. all within a two week span. And it was like, guys, I don't know if you realize this because you're pretty deep in the weeds right now, but you are like three months away from having to borrow some old crap money. So you better hit the gas on sales and you better start wholesaling off this inventory and mm -hmm. get cash. And that was when we transitioned, like all of a sudden we started having 40, 50, 60 K months on wholesaling that survived us for that three month span to now we're pretty 50, 50 wholesale and rehab yeah. to get to this point where all of that inventory is gone. And this, like this year will be the lowest amount of houses we carry into next year, which is like seven, wow. seven or eight versus 25 to 30 for the last couple of years. Heim says that you should push some of those out to January to help with taxes. Well, we've been, we've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, one of the other things I want to talk about 
and Edgar's actually asking about this as well, is that your marketing is different than most other people's marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk about what is your marketing? So I'm, I'm, I've fallen into being the traditional media guy, TV, radio, you know, paper, the old school stuff, uh, billboards, and in a lot of markets, that's really counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But like the reason why we became successful with it was because of the demographic of our market. Um, we're we're the second oldest county in the country. Really? Yeah. Who's oldest? Allegheny County. Uh, Allegheny County is our county. It's like Dade. Dade Miami County, Dade? yeah, in Florida or whatever, or ever, or Kings ever, County in Florida or something like every that. Every article about voters being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. okay. it, but, but, so it's like you're, you know, our market demographic is, is older people. How do they want to be talked to? They still buy on infomercials. They, they still listen to the radio. Like that holds huge weight mm-hmm. versus a, a, a mail piece. Um, so about two years ago, I started, we started heavily investing into, into that and expanding on those channels and i mean it's game changer because it was i mean it was how we blew up we switched from urban capital group to home buyers of pittsburgh mm-hmm. and had that full-blown you know in 18 months to where like people people know uh the name yeah uh, and we did it through through traditional media and uh you were talking about those numbers offline like right now how many dials are you, how many call ins are you getting between between your TV and your radio? So so like so our all of our marketing is 175 to 200 calls a month. Mm-hmm. In that's not it's not a lot. It's not a high volume, but our leads it's like 70% lead ratio. That's high quality. Oh my gosh. And and that was that was the big difference. You know, was when we were mailing and we were, you know, doing everything else. We weren't really doing it that much else other than other than mailing and like bandit signs and stuff. It was just like it was like forty percent, you mm-hmm. know. And I was like, okay, so can we reduce our volume? Tell people exactly what we want to buy, which was really interesting because we picked our niche, mm-hmm. and then we told people what we wanted to buy through this traditional media, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I mean, it just it went up. So what was that message okay. when you said you told them what you wanted to buy? Oh, I mean, it's like, hey, we're not we're not buying junkers in bad neighborhoods. Like we're buying, you know, grandma specials in great school districts and, you know, homes that are structurally sound and they just need some cosmetic updates are really good schools where you want to put your kids. And, and we started saying things like that. Um, and that's what resonates. Yeah. You know, and in the for for us, it's like too. it's. Uh, we say we're the number one professional home buyer. Mm-hmm. OK. And now it's cool. We have some awards to to actually back that up. Yeah. <laughs> We're not just the guy saying it. Um, there was a there was a difference too of the people that we started talking to by talking on radio, talking on TV. We started talking to more affluent people mm-hmm. that valued time over money. So automatically the price point of homes you're gonna buy is higher. And that was where we wanted to be. We mm-hmm. didn't want to be buying twenty, thirty thousand dollar junkers. It was we're paying seventy to a hundred thousand dollars for these homes, which in our market is like these are nice homes. Um, it's really hard to fathom. Yeah. So, but they're but they're outdated. You know, they need that thirty five forty in work, and mm-hmm. we're selling one fifty to two hundred. So it. Um, so we started talking to these people that just yeah value time over money, and so then I even started saying that in in my in all my advertising like you know do you do you have something you have a house that's stressing you out um maybe you're valuing like your time and stress that you're putting into it over getting a couple extra bucks on the market give us a call Mm -hmm. you know and started saying little things like that 
And next thing you know, you're getting calls from the retired, you know, the retired guys that's wealthy. He's got a second home. He downsized out of it. And uh, he just wants to let it go in three weeks, you know, four weeks. Wow. So interesting stuff like that. And it was like, who are you talking to? Mm -hmm. Uh, All the things that we do normally. But what I love about traditional is like, I can, I can literally like on radio, one of my favorite things is saying, okay, if I'm going to go on a country station, I'm talking to women and I'm typically talking to women 34 to 60. That's the emotional side of the brain, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to speak in in a commercial emotionally stress, you know, uh, worry, things like that. Um, and I'm going to talk directly to them. Have you inherited a house recently that's really stressing you out? You know, or are you worried about helping your, uh, your, your, your parents transition into assisted living? Like we can help make that easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to that emotional side and then boom, we're just crushing it with that. And same thing. If we go on, you know, we go on, um, like a news talk radio station and I'm going to talk logically time over money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just started learning those things. That's fascinating. How did you, like, was there someone to help you along the way or? Just Benjamin Franklin, yeah. <laughs> just spend the money and test it. Yeah. I mean, just like anything, you know, we didn't know, um, the people at the stations were great. It, it was really cool to be able to go in and talk with them and say, Hey, look, I'm an ROI based guy. I want this to be successful. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to buy on contract for long periods of time. And, um, and we're gonna test three to four different, you know, ads at once and we're gonna look at the metrics and then we're gonna dump stuff and we're gonna record new, like. So if you're doing three or four different ads at a time, are your phone numbers different for each ad? Uh, no, not right now. And the reason why is because their analytics are way stronger. So like I can do one phone number for radio, but the analytics reports that I get tells me everything that I need to know about what commercial is actually converting. Mm. So it's, so that's nice. So like the time that it came in? Yep, everything. Gotcha. They, they, they know when the ad played, when it converted, if the people went to your site first before they called, like their, their analytics are heavy. Fascinating. So you're able to look at your conversions for actual rate is basically commercial to action mm-hmm. is, is a conversion point. So you want to be like over 0.3 as frequency. So you want to be over like 0.3. Uh, if it's under that, then the ad is failing. But if it's 0.5, you better dump a heck of a lot of money into that in the next month because it's converting the messages right. So then is that phone number tied to the station then? So that's how they can track it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Very interesting. And, th- and then they, they do like, they'll do Google tag managers too. Mm-hmm for for everything that you put into your website and so if you convert that way you can do that it's crazy it's pretty fun stuff (laughs) uh butler buys houses wants to know are billboards working in your market um they so it's interesting we um i've actually been using the uh the blip Mm -hmm. uh, like the blip ones and we bought like we haven't elaborate what blip is oh so it's like uh it's it's digital billboards that are like seven and a half or or uh 15 second you know, uh, blips basically. And, um, I started running those because it was so cheap and Mm -hmm. you can set your budget per day. And I was like, I want to kind of, I just want to test it and see what happens. And I don't want to commit to four grand a month. So I did like a $2,200 campaign over like two months and we bought three houses (laughs) and I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. But then it, 
it died off. Oh. So, <laughs> so I just like now you got all the other people that were going to sell through billboards. Right, right. And then, out. and then it, and then yeah. So don't get don't get your hopes up. But it's still it's it's brand awareness at the yeah. end of the day, right? Having a consistent message across multiple channels, and like all of my stuff is the same. Like my postcards, my billboards, like everything is the same. Now some people might disagree with that. I sometimes disagree with it and try new things. Mm -hmm. And when I come back to it, I'm like, it just work. It, it as a blended whole, it works. It's a brand awareness. And what's really interesting about it is that, so like mail specifically for me does not convert super high, but when I slow down mailing, everything else kind of falls off. It's like when it all works mm -hmm. together. Yeah. But, they but all lift when, each other. when one kind of goes off, so that was, that's been really interesting. It's something I haven't been able to like understand why or figure out. I'm just it's, like, don't, don't break it. Yeah. It's <laughs> omnipresence, right? It's that, um, you know, they see you like, man, this guy's everywhere and legit. Mm -hmm. You are everywhere. If you're on mm -hmm. TV, radio, mail, newspaper, the papers, you are, on Facebook. you are everywhere. So yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, we talked about the mastermind, right? Is mm -hmm. that if your your TV is going to work because your radio is working mm -hmm. or because you're on your radio, mm -hmm. because you're in both places, if you're just radio or you're just TV, it doesn't quite work as well. Right. Yeah. So, and the messages are congruent. Yeah. The, like it's just, yeah. So how much are you spending a month on radio right now? Um, everything is pretty like I'm spending 20 to 22,000 a month total. So I think like my radio contracts, like 5,400 a month, my mm -hmm. TVs right around there, my papers right around five. And then I spend like five on mail. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so like radio, I run like 700 commercials for that. Mm -hmm. And then I get two hours a month long form where now well, this is pretty cool. It actually doesn't convert well, but again, it's just presence. Um, I do two hours a month on the radio where I'm like kind of like the local, like real estate guy now, mm. you know, people are calling in like, well, I got this situation. <laughs> and you're coaching them through it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So it's cool. Like, like just, you know, if anybody's going to go that route, like, understand like just a couple of things like you want to go on long contracts if you can knowing that you can always get out of them because mm -hmm. you'll negotiate the best prices and then just look at perks like ask them questions like okay what's a hard cost to you versus something you can throw in you know what am i actually paying for versus can we you know if i up my budget can i get a bunch of extra perks over here what are some perks that you you would get um like like for instance they'll run um They'll run like your like your Google SEO, um, pay per click, and Facebook. So like let's say like you spend really? like yeah. So let's say let's say for instance like you have like a four thousand dollar contract, right? And let's say for newspaper, if you have like a four thousand dollar contract and you run, um, you're gonna run like two Sundays and a couple follow up Wednesdays. That's actual hard hard. You know that might not be hard cost to them, but that's where they make their margin. So what they'll do is then you you opt in for like a thousand dollars in pay per click and five hundred dollars in Facebook ads, but your cost of your package stays the same. Mm. So, and I've now tested this. I was like, okay, strip me down to just print, and see what happens. It starts failing. Mm -hmm. When everything is clicking together, it just it works. So right. it's kind of like I drop my stuff down to fifteen grand. And it just does not work as well as spending the full 20. You lose any sleep over that? I don't really lose sleep over anything. Okay. I, 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 I don't. Because it's either like you're either all in yeah. or you're not. Yeah. I am so desensitized to, to the, mo to the yeah. money that like, 
I've, I've learned enough now that if the day you take off your foot off the gas on your marketing, it's another six months before you get fully through. So like I just, I, my experience has been from the day one, if I send mail out tomorrow, I'm not getting an ROI for 90 days. Yeah. And that's most, and then you go traditional, it's six months. Mm -hmm. So like you have to be willing to commit. So I was 20,000 a month for six months before we really saw that return. And then tack, then tack rehabbing and reselling. Mm -hmm. You're talking a nine to 12 month cash cycle, which is what I said, 2018. That's why it just now came out now. Right. Because it, it, it tests you. It's a full year um, when you go all in. So. so you're a very patient person. So <laughs> um, so we got your radio ads, your TV ads, and everything. It's, you're, it's all out there. Someone calls in. Where does that lead go? Uh, for us, through CallRail and then into Podio, uh, we still use InvestorFuse. Sorry, Don, Don Ross. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, we've had multiple conversations about like switching mm -hmm. over, but like. I'll talk to him, Don. Yeah, the, the, just the CRMs are just like the vein of my, my existence. And it's yeah. like one project at a time kind of mm -hmm. deal. Um, so yeah, so we're using, we're still just using the original InvestorFuse, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, and then we have a lead manager in house. It, we, we have like a closer setter model where he's good cop, I'm bad cop. Basically he's, he's building all the rapport, he's fact finding, getting all the information, setting the appointment for now me, because I, again, we, we strip, we kind of stripped down some of the teams so we're rebuilding. Um, and uh, so running that like closer setter model to where he's taking the calls, he's doing the follow-ups. So he's, ta he's ans answering the call live mm -hmm. and he's getting the information mm -hmm. and then getting and booking a time. Yep. And then you go to the Puts house. it on my calendar and then I'm going. So really right now I'm like, I try to be five appointments to 10 appointments a week mm -hmm. close to. That's my, that's my gig. Very um, cool. So what does the rest of your operation look like? A lot of construction and sales. <laughs> so our, so our company is myself and Arch, my partner. Mm -hmm. um, the smart one. Yeah. Right. I just, I'm just the face, <laughs> but it's, it's Arch and my partner. Then we have on the front end, we have Ryan, uh, Ryan and myself. So two Ryans, mm -hmm. which if you can get somebody in that front seat that matches your name, yeah. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. Actually, it kind of works. Uh, so then it's, um, myself and him on, on acquisition side, Joel is our operations guy. He, he kind of runs everything in the background, all the books, all the TC, um, APAR, all that stuff we have two project managers. So Arch's brother, Bob and Bill, he's our, he's our old head in the office. Mm -hmm. He's our, he's our old steady gray that keeps everybody at a nice, even pace. Um, and then we have 12 guys out in the field on the construction side of our company. And then I have one dispo slash retail guy, yeah. uh, in office too. So something you said to me, and I don't know if this is still true, but at your presentation, so you had two crews and a two person punchless crew. Yeah. So, so now it's, so the way we've always been successful is three man crews. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to throw some numbers really fast at people, but three man crews, 75 bucks an hour per crew. It's about $3,000 a week in labor. That's pretty much what a flipper can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, the way we've always set it up. So you have your lead carpenter, you have a light electrical light plumber guy, and then, uh, you have your, you know, painter, plaster, general labor. Okay. And that team's, gotta be 75 bucks an hour is where we like to be. So you can either have three 
highly skilled guys that you're paying 25 bucks an hour you're getting you're getting a less managed crew mm-hmm. or you're going to have a four-man crew right where you're kind of training and 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 working up and someone's going to step out and become another crew leader so for us right now three crews and then we have two floaters um the big problem for us when we when we scaled up was like reply to inspections um, and for most wholesalers out there, they're like, what the heck is reply to inspections? <laughs> yeah. But, but it's when you go and you sell a house retail and the buyer gets their inspection report, mm-hmm. they're sending you a laundry list of stuff they either want fixed or they want credits for. Mm-hmm. You're selling 10, 12 houses at once. That's a whole nother construction process Yeah. because your crews have left and now you got to go back in. Um, so we have two guys that, that they, a lot of times will start the job. So they'll do, they'll go in, they'll do some demo, they'll do rough plumbing. Uh, rough electrical, our crews come in, do everything else, and then they get a they do a final punch list, and then those two guys will come back in again at the very end and do like a final final punch out. And you pay these guys more? Uh, yeah, because even though um, no, I guess it it, it it no because they um, they're they're ten ninety nine, mm-hmm. so yes, they get paid more but it's the same cost to us. Right. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they get paid more. I think those guys are like 35 to 40, but they're on their own. So like mo- most, like our average in our company is like 22 to 25. So, and each guy, they work for you and you alone. They don't work for anyone else. There's no other side jobs, no right. side hustles. Yeah, because everybody, so everybody except for those two mm-hmm. is W2 for us. Yeah. A- except for those two guys. Now, if there's times when We've been able to keep them busy, but we keep it very legitimate as far as 1099, they get the scopes, they do the thing, like it's very legitimate on that Mm -hmm. side. Um, There has been maybe three instances where it's like, hey, if you have a, you got that client you've been talking about, you wanna go knock out their bathroom, we're gonna have a week of downtime for you, go knock out their bathroom. Mm -hmm. So it's happened like two or three times. Gotcha. Now that's the rehab part, who's managing? the rehabbers or this all self-managed. So it's, so yeah, so it's all, it's all us. Cause we built out a construction company. So you have Bill and Bob and Arch. So the way that we had to break it out was we <clears throat> project manager, you're typically, you're, you're handling schedule, right? Budget timeline or whatever timeline budget and the people. So we broke it out to where now Bob, he is a materials manager. Bill is site control and Arch drives the schedules. Mm. So Arch is laying out the schedule. He's laying out the you know execution plan for the job. And then it's Bob's job to make sure the guys have all the materials they need and Bill's job for site control. And then he gets us site reports for Fridays for our inventory meetings. So we just keep that that flow. And then one thing you mentioned earlier, you know, while you guys are out having a good time in the mountains was you guys have your regular meetings. Mm-hmm. What are those meetings? So. It's cool. Um, it used to just be Tuesday and Friday. So Tuesday was our standard level 10 and Friday was our inventory meeting. So we called it on the business in the business. Inventory meeting, we went through every single house, you know, labeled off the issues, made sure anything got buttoned up. Tuesday was our standard level 10. Now our meeting structure is, is and I love it. So it's, we're first quarter testing it. But now on Tuesdays, we do a level 10 then we do sales, then we do a construction pulse meeting. 
on Fridays, we do finance, we do the sales, we do construction pulse, and then we do an inventory meeting. So it's like from nine to one. And the inventory meeting now is just crossovers, reply to inspection, and then the TC on the front. Mm -hmm. So getting the project started, getting it finished. That's all that is. So we broke everything out departmentally, uh, which has been so much more effective. And then we got the team on Voxer and we broke our chats out by department. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a, I mean, it's a new world. And then Arch and I are same page on Wednesdays. Gotcha. Um, and uh, Every week. Every week. Cool. No matter what. Um, so. So I, I got to call him after this. <laughs> that's fine. So um, we should have him call in live. Uh, one question that, you know, uh, I, so I posted, you know, the, you know, 70 plus houses, 1.9 mil in gross profit. And I intentionally put gross profit in of there, course. right? Yeah. Because not everyone knows what all these terms mean. So has someone actually messaged me is like, hey, why are you pushing gross profit out there? Right. And to which I responded, because most people have no idea the difference. Mm -hmm. And the ones that don't know the difference, we can educate them. Right. And yep. the ones that do know the difference, they don't need to listen to the show. Right. Yeah. It's totally fine. Like it's yeah. a win-win for everybody. Yep. So um, can you elaborate, you know, the 1.9, that's gross profit from all the flips. Mm -hmm. What is the net profit after everything's said and done? So this is, and, and I think one of the, one of the reasons too, that I like most people, I know wouldn't be, aren't even willing to talk about this stuff. Right. It should be seven hundred and fifty, seven hundred sixty thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay, based on that one point nine, right around that forty to forty five percent range. If you're running a fully stabilized operation, net profit based off your gross. For us this year, I told you we overscaled. We got we got we became inefficient, mm -hmm. and so it's going to be around four hundred this year. Yeah. So we left three hundred grand on the table, about fifty percent of our you know profit. Um, so f as far as the gross, yeah, 1.9 million, uh, it should break down to that 760 mark, 750 mm -hmm. mark. Uh, but this based year, based off be, like last year's metrics, yeah, based off just like percentages, based off, based off standards, you know, just based off like general standards, mm -hmm. right? So like, like as a flipper, this is what you should make. Yeah. So for us, um, the goal is to run on 20% net profit based off of sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're or to gross, sorry. So if you're a if you're a ten million dollar sale company, you do two two million gross, and you do around seven to eight hundred thousand dollars net pre tax. Um, that's pretty much the standard uh, to be safe, and you can become inefficient, mm -hmm. right? And then you'll be at twelve to thirteen percent like us, right? Um, so just based on the standards, that's that's what we set. We said, you know what? Let's be an awesome. $10 million company. We'll do 10 million in sales, do 2 million gross, and we goal is to clear a million um, to be really, really efficient. But yeah. realistically, we knew where, where our profit should be. Um, so, so yeah, that's what happened this year. And But next year, it's just like, you're already looking at the board and, mm -hmm. you, and you, everything that you learned, that we learned and we're taking through, like you already look at everything and you're like, okay, we're back to normal, baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's okay, this is what I remember being like in 2017 and mm -hmm. 2016, except for now you got a full team under you. All right. So you have to go through that growth period, right? To get stabilized and then cut the fat, get your processes tight, and then you go back to profitability. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of people push themselves to get to the other side. Yeah. And that's kind of the conversation I was trying to have with him is that you can't net a million until you gross a million. 
Right. Right. Like there's this growth, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, these are metrics that we're tracking, but once we gross a million, hey, now we know the path to mm -hmm. netting a million. Yeah. But you can't net a million if you never yeah. grossed a million. Well, it's like you talk about like, you know, getting from zero to a hundred thousand dollars a year net is really challenging. Mm -hmm. Going from a hundred thousand to a million is not that much harder. Mm -hmm. You you take all of those foundations, you just turn the heat up yeah. and then you get there. But then, or I should say to gross, but then to get to a million net, it's a, it's a different ball game, you know? Right. So like for us, it was going from, you know, 500,000 in, in sales or whatever to 3 million to 5 million to 10. Mm -hmm. But this year we're actually like 13.7. So it yeah. was like getting all the way up there is a totally different animal. But now you've seen the other side of it. So you can say, what's the sweet spot? If you remove the ego of having to do all of this transactions and all of this stuff and you say, what do I need? What, what, what makes sense for this business mm -hmm. from a risk standpoint, from a going gray standpoint? Um, and for us now, we, we know what that is. It's around 40 to 50 flips, mm -hmm. around 30 to 40 wholesales. And then we have the retail arm of our business and we have the rental arm of our business. And now that all that cash is out, then we can lend back to our business. So you're creating five profit centers off of one well-oiled machine. Right. That's the goal. Um, but you have to go to the other side to understand that. So you mentioned something there, the, the retail side. Mm -hmm. What is, so like you guys flip the house, who's listing it? We are in-house. So like we- so Ryan's name's on that list, is it listing? Uh, so Aaron, so I actually wanted off of it. <laughs> so 2017, 18, Yes, it was me. Now it's Aaron in our office, but mm -hmm. we're under the same brokerage and we're at a hundred percent commission brokerage. Mm -hmm. So we pay him a salary and then we have obviously a negotiated commission rate that he uh, gets paid through the brokerage. Um, so we save a lot of money there, but it all goes under him. So like he's a top 150 agent in the market now, mm -hmm. you know, but it's mostly our sales. So what are you paying him? Flip. Because this is something I've encouraged other people that go down this road. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no reason to pay an agent one percent on every single flip. Like, it's blasphemous as a broker. I know it's terrible to say. Oh yeah, but but as an reality. investor, yeah, there's no reason to pay a person one percent on every single flip. Right. So what are you paying them? Uh, half a percent. Half so percent. so it's, so he has a fifty thousand dollar base mm -hmm. because he's handling his transaction. He's handling his transaction coordination too, uh, and then he gets paid a half a percent. Yeah. So he's gonna make that's good a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's gonna make a lot of money. Um, and, and we want all of our guys to make, you know, to make great money, yeah. um, and for it to make sense, you know, right. but yeah, half a percent. And if you look at it at the end of the day, like that saves us like 200 grand a year, yeah. 250 grand a year. So then you mentioned the, the retail piece, you have a retail arm. I had no idea. Yeah. So, but it's just him and I, mm -hmm. so our goal was to do 15 million in, in retail between him and I, and we're going to surpass that this mm -hmm. year. I don't, I don't really you pay Aaron. attention. Yeah. I don't really pay attention to it that mm -hmm. much um, because he, that's him. I want him to have that brand for himself. I want him to be successful there. Yeah. And so uh, he's getting like, he's talking to sellers mm -hmm. to list their houses. He's going to listing appointments. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we do a lot of referral too. Mm -hmm. So right now, because we got so stacked up with inventory, Aaron got totally bogged down. Mm -hmm. So then we started referring out to a kid named Dave, who's, killing it too. So we're like, okay, how can we get everybody kind of under one and then mm. really go attack, attack the retail side of it. But it's just been like putting those pieces back together because we've built a brand as far as ourselves go mm -hmm. on the retail side that 
we have great metrics when we sell. But um, it's been it's been interesting. We do a lot better, believe it or not. Well, maybe not, believe it or not. Um, we do a lot better when lead manager, when Ryan's on the phone and, and these people want retail, he's you know connecting them over to Dave, who's actually outside of our brokerage, mm-hmm. and getting the appointment. We have a lot higher closing ratio when he's outside of us than under our umbrella. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's real interesting. So then the 1.9, uh, that we talk about in the beginning of the show, that's outside of wholesaling. No, it's because it, like this year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be around two, one, two, two after all is said and done. Um, in the wholesaling on top of the one. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But like we weren't doing wholesaling <laughs> before. It was one every couple of, well, last year. So last year we did just, uh, we did 197,000 in wholesales by literally like, it was like 10 or 11 deals calling and being like, hey, I can't take this. Do you want it? Cool. Go. <laughs> and and so in June, when we transitioned mm-hmm. to actually start pushing more, uh, we have a couple really successful wholesalers in our market. And this was a big problem we ran into is that we built the brand as the guys that take everything down. And when you go and you start wholesaling, everybody's asking questions. Well, it must be crap. There must be something wrong with it. They're not disclosing something, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we actually hid behind the successful wholesalers and negotiated 75, 25 splits in our favor that they would do our dispo. We started killing it. Yeah. These people were willing to pay ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 over asking price for them because they're doing the dispo mm-hmm. versus paying us under asking, right. you know, if we were doing it. So, so for the last few months, we've got our feet under us mm-hmm. and said, Hey, remember all these deals that you bought? <laughs> Those are actually ours. Right. Um, and so now we've been pushing more stuff out, but like um, we did, so like today, I actually told you today, we're closing our, our biggest uh, assignment, $47,000, yeah, which that's is awesome. like crazy. That's, I think it's like more money on a wholesale than we probably made on a flip this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we like wholesaling in the last six months carried us through that real cash tight portion. Um, I think we did like, I got, obviously I would look, but I know it's around $200,000 since June yeah. um, that, that we've done just wholesaling on the side. And that carry, that built the cash to, to carry through until all that inventory closed out. So knowing that you can make around the same wholesaling versus flipping, how do you stay excited about flipping? Uh, well, so this is perfect for my partner because I know he's like, go ahead, answer, answer this. <laughs> it's because, you know, the construction side of the business for me is I, I buy it, it pops out, Aaron sells it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I It's just this black box that you just kind of put this thing in and something comes It's a out. number on a spreadsheet, yeah. right? Uh, and so flipping obviously is, is exciting for me. The wholesale side is a lot of work for me <laughs> because yeah. we don't have the dispo processes and we don't, you know, we don't have, we're, we're, we're babies in figuring mm-hmm. this out. We know how to buy super deep and buy right. And automatically you can sell deals easier that way. Mm-hmm. But um, building out those processes and re-ramping up the marketing and opening up the buying criteria, it's like this whole new wave of things mm-hmm. that now I'm trying to learn on top. So why is wholesaling exciting? Well, to my partner, <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, like I said, pull me out of the weeds and mm-hmm. be like, dude, are we crazy? Like, what are we doing? Let's let's do, you know, 40 to 50 flips. He's like, I don't even, I will, they will be numbers and boxes for me. 
at 40 to 50. Mm -hmm. Bob and Bill can handle that. I don't have to think about it. Um, but when we go above that, he's heavy in the weeds. And he's like, if I'm out, then I can help you on the wholesaling side uh, of, of the business and we can get this thing really 50 So he's the flipper and he's more excited about the flipping. Wholesaling. wholesaling. Yeah. And I'm like, let's flip it all. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to turn down, you know, that, that money. Right. I mean, that's, I see it like, you know, a lot is that when you, when wholesaling is working, like why subject yourself to dealing with appraisers, dealing with inspections, dealing with a buyer's agent? Yeah. Yeah. It's all of that. But two, it was a lot of, so it's, it's market preparation too. Okay. Our goal from 2015 to 2019 was to put a couple million bucks in the bank, mm -hmm. hope that the market shifted out and we would have an exit machine that we could do whatever we want because everything that we're buying, we would keep. Mm -hmm. So when we can buy deeper again, then we'll buy it all and we'll keep it all. And we'll have the cash to be able to still do the refis and we'll have the money partnerships and all of these things um, that we're not a one, we're not a one trick pony that like, right. if we were just wholesaling, well, that's all we got. And we just spent the last four years figuring out how to build the best dang, you know, little construction operation that we know how to build um, to be able to do anything that we want. If we want to go into, if, if everything craps the bed and we want to go into commercial construction and fit outs, we could do that and yeah. we can make a lot of money. Um, you know, if we want to wholesale, if we want to buy around, like, like we have options because we've stayed lean and we have a really specific skill set. Yeah. Uh, Bernard Mack wants to know, how are you deciding which properties you're going to rehab, which one you're going to wholesale and which ones you're keeping as a rental? So now it's, um, it was always very simple for us. If the house is built after 1950 and the numbers makes, and the numbers make sense, like we're buying it and we're rehabbing it. Um, the, obviously you can tell we don't really think about it that much because <laughs> yeah. I got to think about it. Like on the rental side, like if I'm, if we're 70, 80 grand into a house and I can run it for 12 or 1300 bucks a month, we're going to keep it. Mm. Like if we can make the refi make sense or we can pull 15 out, still be leveraged well, have good $400 a month cash flow, we're keeping it. Um, we don't do that very often, by the way, uh, because we've been so heavily focused on the flip. Now, if it doesn't fit inside of our rehab box or if it fits inside of the criteria of the 1950, but the rehab is 50 or 60 or 70, and we have it really deep, we're gonna wholesale it. Mm -hmm. Because what where we have transitioned is to more wholetailing, more just cleaning them Lighter up. Lighter rehab. Yeah, like spot renovating. So our rehab numbers, like our, I guess I was gonna put like our average is like 35, but now it's like 15 to wow. 20. So we cut it in half. So now it's like, we just got, we force ourselves to get really lazy and, and like force, you have to force yourself to like try these new like tricks and sectors, you know? I love it. That was uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, in the coaching program um, when I was back in Craig Proctor was that you need to spend as much time as possible trying to figure out how to be more lazy. <laughs> and I loved it. And that's something that always stuck with me. And, you know, those of you that know me well know that I try to not do anything. So it works great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then what is your biggest struggle today? Um, the wholesaling, <laughs> like learning how to be a wholesaler because yeah. you were just in a room full of wholesalers. I know. And those, that was awesome. I do appreciate that. I, and I'm, and that's why I was saying like, I, I want to spend the next two days that I'm mm -hmm. here, like being inside of these operations because I want to learn. Um, 
because we are the type of people that if you show me what you're doing and how to do it, I'm going home and I'm implementing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do, I, I, I want to, I want to see that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely just, I'm trying to think how to, how to put this, like what I consider a good deal. I'm extremely conservative. It's hard now looking at leads and saying someone will buy that. Mm -hmm. It's that different mind. It's the, it's the opposite mindset of yeah, put it under contract and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Because we put 66 houses under contract, we bought 65. It's, so it's a different mindset with that attrition rate and mm -hmm. how how do you pitch that and and you know do we put it under a different brand? We close it. We don't we don't cancel. Right. So so that's so that's the thing where now we're we have such a specific niche of what we buy mm -hmm. that pretty much everything that we wholesale is outside of that mm -hmm. and we don't want to close on it. Right. So we're like, okay, let's set up a sister company and then when people were calling us, now we're saying, you know what, this doesn't fit inside of this box, but we can help you move this property or we can you know, we have partners over here. Yeah. We set up a sister company for this exact reason and so we're we're working through that. Um, but they're not going to call that sister company. No, they call, they still call us mm -hmm. and now we're just shifting it and resetting expectations and, and just framing properly. Cause I believe in full disclosure and telling oh. people what we're doing, you know, 100% agree with that. Um, what is your superpower? I, I think like, I, I really think the integration and under deep understanding of how a flipping operation like works, even though I, I partially consider what we did a failure because it didn't come out as planned. <laughs> There's a sick part of me, right? But um, I think I'm I think I'm really good at understanding how the way business should work, mm -hmm. the way that it, it it should look, and being able to kind of build that out. Um, I think I've grown into a, a half decent leader, and just being like I think integrity and honesty when, when I get down to it is mm -hmm. really like my superpower of just being like blatantly honest and being like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is how I want it to look. And I would like you to come on board and, and, uh, just telling people, you know, kind of like telling everybody how it is and also having that two way street yeah. as a leader of like, hold me accountable. Like the only way I'm going to hold you accountable is if you hold me accountable. And yeah. so I think I've grown, I think I've grown significantly like on that side of things. And that's what really excites me the most is like having people that, that want to follow you because you're a good, you know, you're a good person. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just something that's helped us be really, you know, successful. I want to add one thing into the an integrator. So, uh, Ryan and I, we met for the first time in the mastermind. Um, and you were the first presenter and you gave like a lights out presentation and you're like, I don't know if this is any good. I don't know what I'm supposed <laughs> to do. I guess like I, I you know hopefully this is, this is a good enough presentation like it was, and like I said this is one of the best presentations I've ever seen and I'm just sitting there thinking I have to go after this guy this is gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> no um, so but like the the detail you had in your presentation it was it was, it was crazy to me yeah and, um, I, and that's something that like I, I I've been on I've been on the circuits I've been on stages like I love I love speaking and it's something that I really want to like do more of I want to get on the events because like it's it's hard to feel like you know, and this is why we're sitting at the table together, like being one of the few guys out there that's willing to lay it all out, mm -hmm. good, bad, wins, losses, and actually like help people. Like I'll tell you where where we failed and how we came out of it and have the understanding enough of being able to explain those things. And like, 
that's where I want to, I want to go. I want to yeah. get, get back out on, you know, on stages and, and be a part of these groups and like and help people. Yeah. It's appreciated. Um, what's the greatest lesson you've learned? I told you not to ask me this question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, man, I'm a I, slow learner. I'm I know, no, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, I, it's just uh, doing the work like that. I think that I learned very, very early on a couple of things that, that were taught was that like, you're not in the business of flipping houses. You're in the business of turning money. So understanding that, um, this is a very, very long-term game. Like so many short-sighted people out there that like I'm in this because I'm in my mid twenties. So I want to be doing this game when I'm 70. Mm-hmm. So like every every decision that we make, whether it costs us money, whether it makes us whatever, whatever it is, like I'm thinking about doing the right thing. What is that? And I, so for me, it's do the right thing, have really good, solid core values, like think long-term and, um, you know, just, just understand that like, this is a business. Um, if you, if you want it to be a business, so you have to think about it that way mm-hmm. and, uh, do the work and there's no shortcuts. There's no game changers. There's, there's none of that. So yeah. I'm sure we could go, I could spatter on, but those are, those are a few. And then is there a favorite, best or most interesting failure? Um, I mean, you know, we've lost, we've lost money on quite a few houses, but, um, that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. If you're not, if you haven't lost money on a house, you haven't done enough. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, there's, there's so many things that like we fail on, on a day to day basis that like you kind of become desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. But some of my, some of my favorite ones were the multiple times that like when I was building out my own lists, and I would go to copy and paste over and the Excel sheet would jump a line and um, it would be, we've had this pain. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you send it out and you're like expecting all these phone calls and all you get is the mailman showing up on your doorstep with a bin of 10,000 oh. postcards. And you're like, oh my God, that was like four grand, <laughs> three grand. That's happened more times than I typically care to admit. <laughs> Um, so I try not to touch my lists anymore. Um, I mean, man, there's just, there's so, there's so many things that, that at the end of the day, we've probably done wrong, yeah. but like those, that's some of like my, my favorite, like funny <laughs> ones, you know, funny now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, Shane Hunt wants to know how is speaking and writing a mastermind helped your business? Uh, I think, I think putting yourself out there, uh, Shane's my homie. He's actually, he's mm-hmm. coming into town. Uh, this week we should, uh, we should make sure we grab some dinner with him. I uh, yeah. love this dude. Good dude. Um, it, so in 2000, I've always been putting our, put myself out there on social media, but in like 2016, we really kind of started putting it out there a lot and just showing the building of our business. Um, I think from a credibility standpoint of laying it all out there the whole entire time, like people, people know that like, you're no, like they know I'm a no BS guy. I'm going to tell you what I did wrong or what I did great. And, um, so having that credibility has raised me a buttload of private money. Um, and just being out there with the connections, like I'm sitting here Mm -hmm. and we were at lunch with, you know, five, six stud wholesalers that like, I know I can give them value. They can help, help me. It's gotten me into multiple mastermind circuits of guys that have like, we are so open to just being like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we can fix it faster. Right. Um, that it's put me in, it's put me in a lot of the right rooms that have got me, you know, sitting here 
and yeah. being around all these just amazing people. So relationships, credibility, all, all of those things. And yeah, and I'll add to that, right? Like, you know, before the podcast, mm-hmm. like, who, who, who is Steve? You know, who is Steve Trang? Mm-hmm. And I actually tried, and not a lot of people know about this, like I tried launching a coaching program actually a few years back. Mm-hmm. And I was killing it with PPC, right? And I was trying to tell everyone, like, this is the way I'm doing it. And like, no one cared, because like, who is this Steve guy? <laughs> but having this podcast has given me opportunities that I never would have even imagined. Right. So yeah, yeah, you just, you have to put your, you have to put yourself out there and let yeah. people know what you're doing. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's, we we're, we're lucky because flipping houses is very interesting, right? To the mm-hmm. general public. Yeah. So like, you you show a simple before and after of a of a flip and people like lose their minds you know and it mm-hmm. was like i just started putting videos together and breaking things down like this is what we're tracking this is what we're doing and it just kind of started you know building from there and um just being willing to share you know yep. it's definitely like the 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 relationships is awesome uh is there a book that you've gifted more than any other so many but this year um the dichotomy of leadership by Jocko Willick and Leif Babin. Same thing with extreme ownership. The, the economy of re- leadership, I've read that three times. Really? Um, I I love everything about that book. And just, I think that, I think growing as a leader and understanding, like understanding how to do that, I think is like, it's now becoming to me one of the most important things, if not like, like not only that, you know, we always say like mindset, mm-hmm. but like mindset and being a great leader you can do whatever you want if you have the proper mindset and you're a good leader. But yeah. if, if one of those things are missing, you know, then, then you might, um, it might not work out. Awesome. So I'm going to let you think about, um, a last thought you want to leave the listeners with, and I'm gonna make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, so guys, it's going to be on this Friday. I'm going to be in new Orleans with uh, Chris Rude for Skillathon. And I'm going to be speaking there. So if you guys still want to check it out, go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash 2019skill. Um, and Max and I are still getting blown up about our workshop. Um, we're still accepting applications. Uh, so if you want to make 2020 a year, go to disruptors.com to see if the workshop will make sense for you. Um, and next Wednesday, we got RJ Bates flying in from Dallas, Texas. So oh, RJ with Titanium big Investments. <laughs> big, big dog. The big dog. Flipping in multiple, yeah. multiple cities. Uh, so that's going to be next Wednesday. I had to fly to Houston to get him to commit to come here. Wow. Difficult. He made you work. I came, I came here. I know. We just messaged on Instagram. <laughs> like that guy, I had to chase him down in Houston. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. So uh, actually, before your last thoughts, uh, Gary Harper says that you and, uh, and your partner are some of the finest young men that he knows. So, Likewise, uh, Gary. I love you, brother. That's, that's big <laughs> words coming from a guy like Gary. So... Last thoughts. Um, I wanted to start the podcast off this way, but I'll end it this way. I get to sit here. I get to talk. Um, but at the end of the day, there's 17 guys back home that mm-hmm. have made me be able to sit here. Um, Arch and I, yeah, we put the thing together, but they do the work every day. And, and we love working alongside of those guys. Um, one of my favorite things about this business is being able to, and being a business owner is choosing who you get to work with. hundred percent. And um, I've, I freaking love our team. And um, it's cool, man. We have like a locker room back home. So first and foremost, I appreciate these guys more than they know. Um, Secondly, if anybody's, you know, listened all the way through this, I appreciate that too. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so, I'm just so thankful to like be here every day, 
you know, yeah. from where I started, you know, six, seven years ago, what I've gone through and all of the amazing people that I've met that like, if you just put yourself again, if you put yourself out there, if you have good intentions and goodwill, like people will take care of you. And there's a lot of great people out here mm -hmm. and I've experienced so much of that. And so I'm just, you know, thankful. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Thank you guys for watching.